Before we start this podcast, I want to definitely remind you of a sponsor for Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In a world of wrestling where there's hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss a possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or even Zubaz, then drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20apparel.com. And also check out their enamel pin line. It's super cool. Fresh is the word. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fresh is the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And like always, we have the freshest of guests for you. The guest for this episode is trumpet player, cartoonist, composer, and educator Dave Chisholm, whose latest work is Chasing the Bird, Charlie Parker in California, a 144-page graphic novel via Z2 Comics commissioned by the Parker Estate in celebration of Bird's centennial showcasing a stretch of time the infamous jazz saxophonist Charlie Parker spent time in California. During our conversation, we talked about how this book took shape and what sort of research went into developing this graphic novel. We also talked about Chisholm's musical background and how he was able to combine that with comics, along with so much more. And before we get into this episode, I just want to speak on a few things. Uh, Right now, I'm, I'm in development stages of really doing some things to show off my my record collection, my music nerdery with my uh, record collection. Uh, more more significantly with um, with my Detroit stuff, a lot of obscure stuff. Um, I'm gonna be doing something on Twitch. And then I'm gonna be doing more stuff on 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 TikTok also just to you know show off my general um, record collection. So you can uh, actually follow me on both at kfresh detroit on both twitch and tiktok and uh i'm I'm gonna have some cool stuff coming up it's gonna just be basically about record stuff and um i've been wanting to do something like that uh for a while but a few of my friends gave me some ideas about how to attack it and like yo like i'm excited to do that so that might be starting in the next couple weeks I'm, i'm just trying to like get all the technical stuff uh you know locked down um, other than that, um, you know, just, uh, you know, just heard that Larry Flint from, uh, you know, the creative hustler magazine passed away. And that's another thing where it's just like, he fought for the first amendment rights, you know, for, you know, for nudity and stuff like that. And he, he was really a, a big ally in that, you know, and I have a friend, uh, she's a comedian, Teresa Lowe. Uh, she she's been writing for Hustler for past six years, and she says working there has been amazing. 
they've been so so supportive more so supportive than other publications who who act like they're you know you know progressive and whatnot uh, so definitely you know celebrate his accomplishments uh, there's still a long ways to go before you know pornography and sex work and sex education really gets accepted and we know we need to break like those those walls down because all the all the reasons why people don't want to accept any of that stuff are is bullshit and they literally place the worst case scenario of anything into it you know it's like well you know so um we need to step up you know people need to step up about just you know sex in general if it comes to pornography sex education sex workers you know just information about sexuality and people's bodies and everything there's a lot of just science out there that out there that may you know may makes a strong argument for a lot of the stuff that people are you know wanting to teach out there when we come when it comes to the you know the topic of sex so uh rest in peace larry flint your true pioneer now other than that uh that's about that's about it that's all i really want to talk about right now so after after a short you know short break from our sponsors let's get into this interview with uh, dave chisholm and talk about chasing the bird Welcome back to the Fresh of the Word podcast, and like always, we have the freshest of guests for you. And my guest for today is Dave Chisholm. He is a musician, he is a cartoonist, and currently he has a new graphic novel out called Chasing the Bird. It is stories about Charlie Parker, the jazz legend, but, you know, during this time in California. Uh, thanks for joining the show, Dave. Hey, thanks for having me, Kelly. Yo, it's like when I first like got an advance uh, for this uh, this book, I was like, "Oh, dude, this is cool." I like when um, you know, graphic novels and music kind of come together, and because I'm you know I'm a music guy, and I was like, oh, "Okay, this this looks cool." And then I saw also that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was going to be doing the did the, the did the forward for it, and I'm like, "Yo, like." Kareem is like to me like when it comes to the basketball players like the greatest of all time, and he's just like a, and not not only was he a great person but he was like our great basketball player. He was a great person also, and still show you know is like that you know. So like first off, let's like get into like just um, you know why did you want to do this book? Because I know you you're a musician itself, so you have a musical background so why did you want to do this graphic novel well that um that's an interesting question because um you know the way i got this i was actually approached by um by z2 the publisher they had put out a book of mine called instrumental in 2017 that was uh that's a book that has a soundtrack of music it's like a about musicians and has music that goes with it yeah and um so i had already had like a rapport with them and they were approached by the Charlie Parker estate to put out this graphic novel in celebration of Charlie Parker's centennial, which is like, I think in a few, in a couple days, his, um, 
hundredth birthday. Yeah. And um, so when they were approached by those people, they said, oh, we know just the right guy to do this, um, to do this book. And so then they contacted me and, you know, as soon as I, as soon as they told me about this um, possibility, like my brain caught fire and it was immediately <laughs> like, yes, I need to do this. I have to do this. And like, and then it kind of came through the pipeline that they wanted it to be about his time in California, which was perfect because um, it kind of like narrowing the scope of the storytelling it makes it a lot easier to tell an entertaining story rather than trying to tell someone's entire life story, which is a much bigger challenge. Yeah, of course. And someone like that, it's like, how can you put a whole person's life story into one graphic novel? Yeah. And, 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 you know, there, there's that mistake that, well, not to, I mean, I don't want to throw anything under the bus, but I think that the, the problem that tends to arise with that is nothing is done. You don't dive into anything really deeply. Yeah. Try to tell too, too broad of a story. So it was really nice. The events in the book all take place within like, um, within like a four year span in real life, like in, like in, in real life that they were within like four years and in the comic, it's like two years. So already like <laughs> there's a little bit of like messing with the chronology to make, to make it a more compact story. Um, so yeah. And so, yeah, they, um, they approached me about it and my, like I said, my brain caught fire. And so I pitched it, I pitched this idea of the framing of the story to them and, uh, eventually they approved of my pitch and it was off to the races, man. It was, that was in the fall. That was in like, um, September. And so I was off to the races. I had to like, just really turn on the gas and not let, not let up until I was done with the book. So, um, so yeah. How did you get the stories get the story? for, for, um, for this book? You know, you know, cause there's like, there's like four or five different stories being told from um, different point of views. Where did you get the stories from? Okay, yeah. Um, well, the you know, in the couple weeks that I had between kind of learning about this project and then pitching it to the people, I just kind of went into like a rabbit hole of like books and research and stuff. So I read maybe like four biographies of Charlie Parker, and then. Um, I look. I, I looked up like every newspaper article that I could find that was archived, and interview interviews with him that were archived, and I kind of like was deliberately looking for people whose lives intersected with Charlie's during this period of time. So that was my whole angle was kind of like to tell the story to to show this person from a variety of points of view, ranging from fellow musicians and good friends to musicians who look up to him to artists and love and lovers and, and managers and, um, and, you know, non-musicians and stuff like that. So that, so that we could get Charlie's points of view on this figure from all over the place. Um, and so I was on the hunt for people whose lives intersected with Charlie's and, um, and so, yeah, like I came across these stories from a variety of sources. Um, some, some of the sources are very slim and I had to kind of like play them, do like a, the, what historian, historical fiction writers do. And you kind of take like one sentence uh, source <laughs> and say like, 
right, how can I? What would what what would this interaction have really been like? Yeah. What would this relationship have really been like? What would this chance encounter have been really been? What would have real what would have happened? What would they have talked about? What was Charlie interested in? What was this other person interested in? What do I know? Are there any historical quotes that I can pull from that will inform this story from any of the people? And then it kind of became, you know, looking for um, as many authentic ways to fill in that story and then using my own creativity and I don't know, empathy, I guess, to find, to, to create the stuff that, to recreate the stuff that I didn't have sourced that couldn't, that I couldn't have sourced, you know? Um, so, uh, so yeah, man, it, it was a real, it was an, it was an awesome process man. it was really fun and crazy. Was there, you know, was there any, uh, other stories that, you know, didn't really flush out that you didn't make the book that you just kind of had on the list. And how did you choose the ones that you ended up going with? Yeah, there's a, there's a few stories that, um, I, I, that I regrettably had to kind of like thin out. I, I, I really wanted to do a chapter that was from the point of view of Charlie's, uh, like, like wife Doris who appears in the sixth chapter of the book briefly um but if i made a chapter from her point of view it would have kind of defeated the um it would have kind of like i feel like it would have let the air out of the balloon in a sense of like there's this kind of mis overarching mystery that's like where charlie goes missing at a certain point and every story ends with him like why where was he during this time and if i would have if i would have given had her have a chapter then that mystery would have been answered before it would have been like before it was ready to be answered. Um, and then I, I, there's this, there's a guy named um, Dean Benedetti, who is really famous in this, in Charlie Parker circles as a guy who recorded, who, who was a saxophone player who basically like dedicated his life to following Charlie around and recording every gig that Charlie played. So basically like Charlie Parker is maybe in terms of percentage of performances recorded, the most recorded musician of like all time in terms of percentage, right? Yeah. This dude, Dean, especially from that era, this dude, Dean would like show up with like a reel to reel tape recorder and set up in the bathroom and wire a microphone out and then only record when Charlie was playing, which is wild, right? Because <laughs> all the great musicians that are playing too, but he was like, I only care about the saxophone playing. And uh, I thought a chapter from his point of view would have been cool, but, um, it kind of became like, like I knew that this crazy interaction happened between this crazy encounter happened between a young John Coltrane and Charlie in California. And it became, that was like too much of like this incredible moment to like let go of. And I didn't want to have, more than one chapter from the point of view of a saxophone player who admires Charlie Parker. Yeah. And so, um, so there was a certain amount of chess that went into like putting it together and there were definitely some situations where I found an anecdote about Charlie that happened in New York and it just fit perfectly. So I moved it to LA and, um, and added it to like the Dizzy Gillespie story, for example, or, there's some stuff that Dizzy Gillespie says to Charlie some at the dramatic climax of that chapter that 
um, was allegedly said by someone else at a later date to Charlie. But again, I took those words and was like, this is, this is like poetry in the sense that like, it right. takes this big idea and boils it down. And I don't I don't want to introduce a new character on like page 20 of this 22 page chapter. So I'll take those words and put it in Dizzy's mouth instead of this other person's mouth. And it became sort of like that, um, chess game or strategic trying to be strategic to keep it uh concise and interesting and right. thematically on point um and uh yeah and, and again like i'm i'm really happy with the results i couldn't be happier with the way this book turned out when you're dealing with all this material that you've uh, researched kind of placing it all together and when it comes to that point of like filling in the blanks like you say you know um taking this quote and kind of figuring out what what to do with it how do you sort of keep it authentic and not sort of bringing in your own sort of uh you know biases into it so that is a great question and i think that um there's no way to there's no way to actually avoid your own biases so like um the, I would say that like, you just have to like, yeah, I mean, that's it really. I, I, the answer is I, I kept it up as authentic as I could. And at the same time, recognize that like my biases are there and I'm trying to like, there's certain beats that I needed to hit. There's certain themes that I needed to hit. And I was like looking at it and I'm like, okay, well I need to talk about this subject and which chapter is the best fit for this subject and I plopped it in there and I, and I want to talk about this other subject. And I was like, well, this obviously fits in this chapter. And it was also more like um, thinking about like, if I was to read this book about Charlie Parker, what, what topics would I be annoyed with if it didn't come up? What topics would I be upset? Like if it didn't come up, like, um, like if I was reading a book about jazz musicians and the, in the, in, the, in that era and I just in, in the in the author just avoided talking about race I would be like yo that really is not that's not cool because it's so integral to this music this is music that comes from black America right. during a time you know when when there was a lot of strife I mean there still is now so let's let's be real but like um you know and this is a music is a direct reflection of that and so I, so I had to talk about that I had to put that in there somewhere, even if you don't, even if the people back then, the artists back then weren't really talking about that on the public record, you know, it was something that went around between them behind closed doors and stuff like that. And, and, um, trying to find a way to place that in gracefully that actually also, well, okay. And then, or something like, um, Charlie oftentimes like, to explore his background where he, he really loved like European classical music. And then that's something that he was very comfortable talking about in interviews. And so like, what might a young John Coltrane say to him, given the opportunity to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him and, and when he, and maybe speaks, speaks to that and, and sort of like, at a certain point I knew there were things that I couldn't leave out. And so I was looking for spots to put those in or ways to like, kind of talk about like what makes Charlie. So Charlie's music special. This is me speaking to 
really as an educator talking to people who trying to communicate what makes this music special to non-musicians like comics readers right yeah so like in the dizzy chapter right away i just get into it you know because i want people to be invested in it that way and to have an understanding like why is this person important it's not because he was a drug addict it's not because he was a larger than life personality it's because of his music and what his music stood for in his culture at the time right um and what the music stood for in the greater fabric of american culture at the time and so you know Dizzy was someone who could talk about that stuff in a way that really bridged the gap. And, and I think that, so, so again, it was, it's a funny thing because that word authenticity, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard one because I think historians, we always want to like act like I say we, like I am one, but really this is, this is like me taking a, my first step in that world. Right. But we always want to, say like, well, we're presenting an authentic picture, but there's no way you can avoid your own biases. And there's no way also you can, especially for a book like this, where I'm, I really have a theme and I have an agenda. Right. Like it's not from, from day one, when the estate approached me, they were like, they were like, we don't want a documentary. We don't want a dry, boring documentary. They wanted entertaining stories about Charlie Parker during this time. Right. And so that that's from them. And then on, on my side, I'm like, um, it can't just be entertainment. It ha- there has to be some underlying theme, underlying structure that ties it all together. And so this was my challenge of taking those and mashing them together. And, and at a certain point, like, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's a pretty convoluted answer to that one question. But, um, but hopefully that gets to the heart of it, it somewhat. When you're when you're dealing with this issue of race in the, in these stories, you know we're we're currently in this you know new chapter of a civil rights movement, and a main theme of that is you know do the work you know don't always depend on like your you know as as white people don't depend on your uh, black friends to always teach you you know do the work like when you were going into this into these stories about Charlie Parker you know. How did you make sure that you were like doing the work and make sure that like you were at the at the at, at the best like making sure that the the stories about race and that issue come off as best as possible? Hmm. Man, that's a that's a really good question, and um, I knew right away that I was gonna, you know, like. I, I early, very early in the process, I approached some um, friends slash musician acquaintances of mine who are like black American people, right? And I asked them if they would be sensitivity readers for this project. And so um, I made sure and I had like big, long conversations and took major notes and really kind of like um lear- like learned a lot from that so like yeah you did the work I did the work yeah <laughs> well i mean okay like i i think um and i think that was part of it a huge part of it was that and then knowing that i'm telling us that this story okay there, there's a few angles on this man so bear with me here go and ahead if this is any if any of this stuff we want to like you want to like 
edit out because it just gets too in the weeds. No, nah, that's just go, just go, just go. <laughs> this is I'm talking to you, man. So like, the I feel like if I was telling, if I was trying to write a fictional story about a saxophone player in the 1950s who's black in America, I would really, if I was trying to build it something like that from nothing, I would have a, I would really second, I would really have to stop and say, I probably shouldn't do this. Right. This isn't my, but the fact that I'm telling a story that's like at the very least framed around events that actually happen. Um, that like the, and the amount of like mind, the amount of like filling in the gaps that I would have to do was small enough. And, um, and, and, and telling the story in the way that I told it from this like rotating point, rotating points of view, um, allowed me to try to approach this topic from as many different angles as I could, as I could. On top of that, I knew that, um, that I, I wasn't going to, I knew that the project wasn't going to be necessarily about race. Like this isn't like, um, a meditation on race. It's a, it's a story where obviously you could say you could, you could sit, pause it. You could, you could pause it that a lot of Charlie's inability to cope with with like real life and his need for escape stems from the fact that like he was a black person living in America during during this time right yeah um but that said like um there's more to it than that and the story is not in the story is like like never I'm never like trying to tell it from Charlie's point of view. So we're not really getting like to try, we're not trying to get inside his head. That's the whole point of the book too, is that like, you, you can't really know a person right. all, the, all the way. Like, um, and everyone's point of view on a person is going to be different in particular, someone who is really admired. Um, and someone who I, before his death, even he was like a legendary kind of like mythical figure in in the jazz world for better or worse, you know, some of his influence on the subsequent generations of jazz musicians was not great. Um, and then, and then the second part of it is that like, well, that, I mean, I guess that's it. I mean, I suppose that's it. Like that's, that's the, that's the answer. I suppose. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky subject, man. And, um, and it's definitely something that I did my best to do as much homework as I could do and and um and make it as as good as I can make it without being exploitative in any way you know right like it's elevating it's about elevating this it's about elevating this figure and making people aware of this figure who is an important like historic black American figure so um and, and there's no, there's not a single part of me that's like, like, um, trying to take credit for Charlie Parker's, that would be insane. Right? 
Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope I'm not coming across as like defensive or anything like that. No, it's just it is a tricky subject, but you know, certain times like okay, for me personally, I um I kind of came up in the Detroit hip hop scene here. Um, I've always you know even before that, I was very much into hip hop and sports and the uh, you know the and a lot of those figures were black figures. I grew up right. right off of like the, you know, you know, people know as Eight Mile because of the movie. I, you know, I grew up right off of Eight Mile, so I know about the, um, you know, this invisible but very thick, like border on Eight Mile that separated the white and the black neighborhoods. That right. so there's always these questions in my life about like black culture. Um, so yeah. when you when you have that sort of upbringing, and to a certain extent, you're always always not you know always aware of it and you're able to like me i was able to respect it and you know gain a lot of you know acclaim and respect from people within the city within these communities or whatnot like you always sort of think about these things though in even you're all you're always learning you're always doing the work you know so you always sort of think about like okay how am i gonna treat this with respect yeah yeah um yeah, I mean, I think that our our upbringings are different, but I think in what what makes them, I think like let's talk so, about your upbringing, some you know. Like my, my the earliest music I remember hearing is um, like Miles Davis, Sketches of Spain, Charles Mingus, Let My Children Hear Music, and Charles Mingus Mingus Moves. So my dad is a huge jazz head, you know, um, and um, all of my favorite musicians growing up were like, well, it's a funny thing, you know, because like, yeah, I mean, I, I was born in 1981. So like me too, we're same age, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> Michael Jackson was like a hero for everybody when we were growing up. You know? Oh yeah. Like, thriller was like everything to me when I was like five and six and seven years old. Right. Yeah. And, um, but at the same time, like, what they don't tell you is that like all of this music that is pop music is black music. Yeah. All of it is music that comes from black American culture. Right. At the very least, there's a thread that goes through all of it. And, you know, um, and then when you start learning, like, like learning those things, and even with me, I was learning that stuff really like very early. Cause the first music artist I ever loved was Jimi Hendrix. I was like six or seven years old. And I was like, finding documentaries that were playing on uh, like A&E or something like that and and reading magazines so I was getting to touch into this person and you're starting to be like why do people hate black people so much yeah I mean, of course man and that and, and you know like um and, and yeah as someone who it's like it's always this is it's, it really is uh, a challenging topic to talk about, but <laughs> as someone who like, I've like, I've taken like, you know, I've like dedicated like so much of my life to jazz music. Like I have yeah. three, three degrees in jazz music, like 10 years of college studying black American music. Right. Um, and, and yet at the same time, I'm not, I don't want to pretend that that automatically makes me, like woke about it 
or or down or whatever. Yeah, like there's a lot of people that that find themselves in a hip hop scene or whatever, a black scene, who or are kind of voyeuristic about it. Yeah, or 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 just completely ignorant. Yeah. Or or say like, oh, it's just notes. It's just notes with jazz. Like you you would no. hear that people say it's just notes, you know. And it's like, well, you know, it's ne- it's music has never been just notes. Right? No, there's never. something. There's always something connected to it. You know, there's always it's, something. It's culture. Yeah, yeah, it's culture. Um, and so, and so, like being navigating, navigating being like a like a like a white person who's celebrating music from a culture that's ultimately like not my doesn't originate from my culture is is something that like I've um it's not an unfamiliar place for me, right? Right. In at this but at, at the same time, when we look at the history of jazz music, it's when we look at the history of like the music out of black America, it really is a, a miracle, right? Because these are like it stems from like arguably or not arguably like the the least free people in America, right? Yeah. Um, and it's music that's like so incredible and joyous and expressive and virtuosic and like everything that you want from music, right? Um, and and you know. For all intents and purposes, the creators of this music could have been like, get the hell out of here. This is not your music. Don't record me. This is and the, the interesting thing about like jazz music in particular is that jazz music originates during a time in America, during a time in the world when recording technology originates, right? So like it's this music that is like from the people, like street level like ground level, not academic. Right. At least in it, like, at least like in the sense of that, like it's not coming from an academy. It's not coming from an academy. It comes from the folk, it's folk music, right? It comes. Yeah. From you're the, hearing it in its more, you know, purest, rawest right. form, you know, mean there's not like academic merit to the music. This is, that's not a slight in any way, but so, so it's, it's folk music, right. And historically before, the early 1900s, like folk music is the kind of music that the only way it was spread around the world was by notation. Yeah. So you needed a third party to show up, write it out, put their own spin on it, and then spread it around the world. And um, and so the biases are already in from from step one. And the difference with that, with jazz music, and is that it's a folk music that recording technology allowed the primary sources of this music to be spread worldwide. And it became a phenomenon. Like Louis Armstrong was the biggest artist in the world in like the 1920s. Right. And so, um, what the result of that is that is a jazz music or black American music became like, instead of being a closed door of exclusivity, it became an open door. Right. And it became like almost like, open source code like when you like like a like not microsoft word but like whatever that other one is called that we have all all used at one point that's like an open source version of yeah yeah yeah. where everyone anyone can kind of get in there and say like all right i can make this 
can put my own spin on it. I can make it. So it became an umbrella. It became an open door. It became this ever-growing umbrella that, 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 and this is the miracle of it, right? Is that it, it, it became an open umbrella that like allowed itself. I know I'm personifying this genre of music, but it allowed itself to become, it allowed itself to be transformed by other cultures. Yeah. Knowing with the total confidence that that core at the essence of it will never be extinguished by other cultures influence on it. Right. So like you see that every jazz artist in a sense is like a filter, right. That they put their personal spin through all this other music comes through them and it becomes a personal filter. But ultimately there's still that ember of like, this is black American culture. This is black. This is music that comes from black America. And so like the whole point of this big, these last like 15 minutes of my talking is, is that, um, is that this music has a really, really long and like, um, I would say largely positive history with like being multicultural. Yeah. Um, around this center of like the core of it, right. Which comes from black America. And then the multicultural aspect is around that. And so, um, and you were even talking about like uh, in the book about how, you know, someone, Charlie Parker, he liked classical music and he, he, he could take something and put his own little notes, little things into it, like on, on the fly or whatever. You even joked about like, you know, you're, while you're reading it. Oh, okay. I, I might've lost you there a little bit during this explanation, but this is an, you know, it's a thing where, you know, there's all this music before him. But he was able to, like, take it, you know, and like you said, dig into it like open source material and stuff like that, make it his own. And the cool thing about it was if, if, like you said, um, this was when recording technology was happening. Before that, you know, there might have been a lot of bias about that performance by somebody just writing it down. They might have, like, kind of like, you know, when you're... Uh, you're uh, you're transcribing somebody. You take the stupid stuff out of there, the ums, the everything. But sometimes the ums and everything might actually bring a lot of character to that person. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's the it's kind of the yeah. I mean, and and, and no matter what, like no matter what, this topic is is a real, is, is, is really, um, no, I, I mean, I, no matter what the reception is to this, if, if I'm, if I'm, I, I'm still like, uh, I'm still committed to supporting this and I'm and to, to supporting like black American culture yeah. and black America. And, you know, like I'm, I haven't, I've only sold like one piece of art from this book. Um, and the proceeds for that went to um, Black Lives Matter organization, and I'm committed to, to selling more of it and donating the money and all yeah. that stuff. So, so like, I, I'm definitely not in the interest of of man. I, I I don't know. You might want to edit some of this stuff out because I don't because I don't want to come across as like I'm just I just have, I'm really wary about like 
coming across as like defensive in this. Situation. No, you you sound fine. Okay, let's let's move on a little bit. Um, let's talk about this. Um, the forward from uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like he just kind of wraps this whole thing up so well in a way where you know he talks about the mythology of 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 the story of Charlie Parker the whole uh the whole thing about you know you know i heard you know like the the rumors and everything but tying it into like what's going on today with you know the black lives matter movement dealing with in a pandemic how that affects black america you know black people in this world you know kind of talk about the story about uh you know with this forward from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Well, you know, um, the, I, honestly, from my point of view, there's not a whole lot of story there behind it because basically like all of a sudden I get an email from the, the dudes at Z2 and they're like, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is writing the forward. And I'm like, <laughs> that's like the most amazing thing I've ever heard. This like, <laughs> He's like he's like the the exact perfect person to, to write the forward for this book because not only is he like Kareem, the Kareem we all know, like Skyhook, like all that stuff, like sure that's cool, but if that's all he was, he probably wouldn't be the right person to write this, right? But he's this incredible he's this incredible like cultural icon um and and he's an he's a He's a freaking scholar on like jazz music. His dad was like a bebop, you know, trumpet player. And and on top of that, like he's a scholar for jazz music in LA where the book takes place, which is so cool. He just had an article that was in the LA Times about the LA jazz scene back back then, like in the area just after I'm depicting in the book, I think. Um, and so like the perfect person to write this. And obviously like, it's a humongous honor. And I remember like Pete, the guy who did the colors for some of the book, he texted me and he was like, dude, Kareem typed our names. <laughs> Cause like he mentions both of us by name in the forward. And I was like, I didn't even really think of it that way. But yeah, he didn't just, like, write a thing that was just, like, kind of blanketed about Charlie Parker or anything. He actually, like, put the whole work in consideration when writing the foreword. Yeah, it, and he kind of, like, took into consideration the, the the kind of conceit of the book, the point of view of the book, um, po- points of view in the book, you know. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, it's just a tremendous, like, incredible honor, probably – it's all downhill from here, I guess. Right? <laughs> it's all downhill. <laughs> no, th- there's one thing about that um about that forward that really like rang true with me, and it was the last paragraph of it. Um, and I want to read a little bit of it. It was like the danger with any legend is that is for the public to defy them, because that that brushes aside their humanity. The very real suffering they endured that shaped and fueled their talent. Instead, we pay pay him tribute for being one of us and finding a way to express, you know, what it feels to be us. And that tribute is to say, I hear and I mean it. Mm-hmm. Reason why, you know, that kind of rings true with me is sometimes when when people, you know, when, when you're dealing with somebody's legacy after the, they pass, 
there's sort of like there's like the sainthood that kind of uh gets added or a whitewashing like my uh my me personally my uh example of that is you you're familiar of the of the hip-hop uh the, um producer jay dilla right mm-hmm. yeah once he passed away there was a weird whitewashing of his sort of persona his image his look it went into this weird like sort of hippy dippy sort of thing when he was like a like but when when he in reality he was like a, De- a like a real detroit street dude like he was like but had this amazing musical ability and everything and right. there were so many things about his life that people just didn't talk about or you know they put this weird whitewashing that you're not seeing the crust of this person you know and that's what i liked about like that that's what i like about this like about this uh graphic novel of yours you're seeing you're hearing these stories where you're seeing the best and the worst of these people you know yeah right so so the the other thing that happens is is the opposite where like a a, a character a, a figure like charlie parker he um he doesn't it's like on one hand like a, a certain subset of America or of the world like took every one of his behaviors and was like, this is the path to be to greatness. Yeah. All these saxophone players and jazz musicians like, like started taking, you know, opiates and serious drugs and stuff like that. And like, and, um, and, but on the, on the, on the flip side, the flip side of that is everybody else who's not in that subset of people, it doesn't, it's not that they get like, it, it, they become defined by, as like just a drug, like a druggie. Right. 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 Like this is, this guy's just an addict, just a druggie. And really like we treat addicts like so poorly in, in America. Right. We our our relationship with addiction is so messed up in this country. So right? messed up. And like, um, and so again, like, talking going back to earlier in our conversation saying like what's the topic that i need to talk about in this book like i can't, i have to talk about this and um you know one of the one of the rules one of the requests that i got like right away first thing from the from the estate was like don't show him taking drugs and that's fine i wasn't planning on it but right. like at the same time like it kind of made me think like i need to really find nuanced ways to speak to to this person's like i can't just ignore it i can't that would be right instead of instead of showing them taking drugs maybe you can show like why like right no yeah or like um show the effect of it like the effect or the you know the reason that would lead him to doing that like the conceit in chapter one of the of the monster right yeah or um or kind of like uh you know speaking to like like um a more a, a little bit maybe hopefully hopefully what's a more nuanced take on uh on addiction uh that I brought hopefully that I brought to the table so so yeah man it's uh it's a, it's an interesting thing when you're dealing with a, like a legacy of a figure like this and and trying to like and again this this is the uh another one of the many reasons why I chose to tell it with this like ro- like rotating points of view from several points of view because it um 
it allows for an exploration of all these different sides of all of these different issues. And in a way that like, in a way that like none of them will be totally accurate and none of them will be totally true. But hopefully when you pull back and like squint and see all of them together, that like the big picture comes into focus somewhat, you know? Um, And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating for sure. You know, that's, that's uh, talk about the look of the, uh, of the book, you know, there's uh the artwork in it you know, it's very vibrant it kind of definitely uh you know leads to the story kind of is a great companion with the story um kind of talk about what you wanted to uh, fulfill with the actual visuals um yeah so this was again like from day one this was my plan was to uh have each chapter narrated by a different person and then have the style of the every aspect of the of the book change from chapter to chapter and the whole the idea of that was that um every aspect from the font choice to the storytelling style like how the panels interact with each other to the narration style to the colors that are used and the textures that are used the inking finish that's used was meant to reflect the point the unique point of view of the narrator so for example just to go through like aspects of each one, like the Dizzy Gillespie one um, is extremely, I would say like it's really dynamic, right? The the panel layouts have some some like real dynamism to it. Um, the There's a heavy use of like large areas of black ink in that chapter. And this is to me like a trademark of like dynamic comic art have like confidence to put big areas of black ink on the page and you got and you got like and you got like colors and stuff to represent the music you know and that was like really cool for sure and like and that and that was the other challenge in this book that has come up a few times is that that um this challenge of depicting sound in a silent and still medium (laughs) um and so this allowed me to kind of take a stab at several different ways to do that right um and then the and so this, and the second chapter is from the point of view of a of a European artist, um, who's a bit of like a highfalutin, like windbag kind of guy, right? <laughs> um, in a in a very fun way, right? I suppose. Although, um, well, and so like, um, so for that chapter, I was trying to channel as many as many European comic artists, like tribute, like tributes as possible. And um, to have like the colors get more vibrant as the story gets more absurd, right? Um, so this is the angle in that chapter. The third chapter is narrated by a college age photographer who went on to become quite famous named William Claxton. And um, this one, I I feel like he was maybe 20 years old when this interaction happened and and a 20 year old's perspective is limited. And so like for this one, it's sort of like me riffing on a real rigid square formula. So like almost like my version of like Archie comics or something like that, where right. um, it's a total grid. Every page is the same layout. Um, and the colors are kind of retro looking and a little bit like 
very simple to kind of show this guy's like sort of naive point of view at the time in his life. The following chapter is an is a woman who was a bohemian kind of like pre counterculture before counterculture was even a word. She was counterculture. And she's someone who's like, from all my research was like really her agenda was like breaking down boundaries in the world, like boundaries of gender identity and, and, you know, questioning the, like the importance of marriage and monogamy and all of these boundaries. And so her pan, her chapter, there are no panel borders in that chapter. And if, there ever, if there's everything that looks like a panel border, the only reason it's there is because it's an element from another panel that becomes a panel border for another thing. So in her whole, that whole chapter is, is, you know, so it's this real poetic kind of approach for that chapter. The, the next one is narrated by uh, John Coltrane. And for me, like Coltrane, the Coltrane chapter was the hardest one for me to, to really settle on a style. Because I, and I drew that, I drew that first that's that first page of that Coltrane chapter is the only one that I redrew and I drew that that thing like four times and it just I could never get it right until I finally did <laughs> and for that one like I look at Col I think about Coltrane and I see someone who when he sees the world like I just imagine that he's someone who looks everywhere and sees patterns everywhere and sees like and and sees everything with such detail you know that he his music is so detailed and so pattern oriented that I was like, I'm going to look at, I'm going to model this on like Sergio Topi, the um, Italian comic artist. I think he's Italian, right? Topi. I think so. And he, and because Topi's work, even like there's so much, like so many beautiful little intricate patterns that like, are just only he can see only he can see that stuff you know and there's a sequence in the Coltrane chapter where he like disappears into this like mystical musical space in his head um and the the color so the colors in the Coltrane chapter are super wacky right right like um I'm like Charlie Parker is like this super hot pink color and like Coltrane's purple and everything is like yellow and orange and these like super like not realistic colors but then when he disappears into this musical space the colors are like actually just regular colors and, that's, <laughs> and so to, so to him like music is more real almost like re re the real reality and the real world is like this false reality kind of thing the next chapter is narrated by ross russell who's who uh, wrote a biography on charlie parker and was his manager and ross russell was prior to being in music took it took a stab at writing like crime novels like pulp novels and so obviously like it's a huge tribute to like uh darwin cook like parker graphic like comic books graphic novels yeah because that's to me is like the kind of like ultimate film noir style co like comic book uh graphic novels and stuff like that and it's a really fun style to to work in it was really fun and then that, that's all bookended by the uh, intro and the outro chapters. And um, and for those ones, it's more like my 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 house style, I guess, Dave style. Right. 
whatever the hell that is even. You know? Right. Uh, but yeah, man. And, and uh, I, I would say that like, there's a learning process. You know, there's a lot of like, tr- there was a lot of like, I, I guess like trial and error in putting this together. Um, but it was such a blast. So much fun. All in all, you know, what do you hope people get out of reading this graphic novel? I hope people go check out Charlie Parker's music. Um, and so I, I, it depends on the audience, right? So one, so let's like go through the different audiences. One, some people who buy it will be comic book people. And I hope those people check out Charlie Parker's music and really try to hear it from a historic perspective. Cause it's really hard to listen to old music from with modern ears. Right. Yeah. Cause Charlie Parker's language that he innovated is so ubiquitous now with jazz music that you'll be like, yeah, this sounds like to your, to your, like, to the, like, the uneducated ears like this sounds like the guy that played at my sister's wedding you know what i mean and it's like whoa no 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 you got to try to hear it from the point of view of people back then because this is like this is like space age light years ahead stuff compared to what was going on back then yeah first thing comic people listen to charlie parker charlie parker people read some comics that's the (laughs) goal for those people right so like i hope all the people who find this book because they love charlie parker are like blown away with what comics can accomplish right because comics is like the greatest storytelling medium out there in my opinion i just think like that you can do anything in this medium and especially when you when the medium itself becomes part of the message it's just like it's the most amazing thing um and then for for all of the everyone else somewhere in between those two things so like really like uh, i want people to check out the music i want people to check out comics and in terms of like on a deeper level um for people who are like a little more casual about their relationship to charlie parker or the core comics but kind of dabble or whatever i hope that people read this and reconsider their relationship with um their heroes and idols and in every situation to say like oh that's a real human being you know that's a real person that's it's kind of crazy to think about you know like that beyonce wakes up and you know has a regular day just like the rest of us you know that she's a real human being because we because it really we really suck the humanity out of people when we put them on a pedestal like that right right um and and it's a distinctly i i guess like shooting from the hip, you know, this is, I'm sure that you could argue against this and win, but like, if you were to like, this is, it feels like very much a 20th and 21st century thing, um, where we, where we, we ruin people by putting them on a pedestal in a sense, we like make it so that they can't live with themselves or they start to believe the BS about themselves. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe, maybe you could even argue that Charlie Parker is one of the first people to kind of fall victim to this. I don't know if that's true. That's a bit of a stretch maybe, but it's definitely a conversation that's worth having. Right. Besides chasing the bird, what are some other things that uh, you're working on or things that you've worked on in the past that, you know, you might want to talk about? Yeah. Um, well, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I did that. I did a book called instrumental with Z2 comics that is really cool. And, um, it has a soundtrack of music that goes with it it's like a story about this trumpet player that comes across this old trumpet that makes the most transcendent music. But every time he plays it, somebody dies. (laughs) 
and it's uh and the music is really cool on it like headphone kind of cinematic headphone candy kind of kind of music and then um i i had a four issue sci-fi series come out through scout comics earlier this year it just actually wrapped up in uh july and it's called canopus c-a-n-o-p-u-s and uh that that's a story about a woman who wakes up on an alien planet she has no memory of how she got there uh, just vague sense vague memory of her own identity and her memories start to return as she explores the planet and her memories come back as monsters on the surface of the planet and obstacles in her way and stuff like that and so it's really an exploration of like the the relationship between memory and identity and then the relationship between like resentment and fulfillment and stuff like that so kind of like me working through my own personal issues through the through comics through making comics um and then also like i've done a lot of music too um but we don't need to we're talking about comics right now really no we can talk about music too man like yo i'm a music person so you know what you what you you know been working on regards to music man well you know lately in the i'd say in the past few years my focus has really shifted largely to making comics um the last big music project i did was uh like an indie rock project called talking underwater we did one we did a full-length album that's that i think is really good it's all like sad it's all super depressing music all right yeah my favorite kind yeah (laughs) sad depressing music has has gotten me through uh this pandemic oh yeah yeah i'm like oh there's somebody out there that that uh gets me and then uh i and then i have a a a record that i did before the instrumental soundtrack called calligraphy it's a similar concept, kind of post-rock influences with, like, jazz. This kind of combination of, like, Sigurose with, like, 1970s Miles Davis or, like, late 60s, 1970s Miles Davis with... And then, uh, and then I, before that, I did a record called Radioactive that's, like, a jazz big band music, but, like, modern jazz big band music. So it's kind of, like, when you say big band, people think of, like, Glenn Miller and swing music. yeah. Stuff is great, but that's not what this is. This is a little bit more like, again, like cinematic and stuff like that. So it's definitely worth checking out. You might dig it. It's good. All the all the instrumental music is good, like music for like accompanying making art and stuff like that. Um, and and lately, and then I just teach a lot. I teach a lot of music. So and and also some comic stuff too now. So it's um pretty pretty crazy i'm very lucky that i've gotten the opportunity to explore my obsessions to the degree that people will pay me money to do what i want to do how does how does each thing sort of lend its hand to to other you know how does the music side lend its hand to your your comic creating and how does the comic creating you know sort of lend itself to like the music creating well i think the big lesson that you music is this amazing thing and i think Music is this incredible thing for for people in that no matter how, no matter where your like mental orientation is with regards to knowledge, whether you're a knower or a feeler <laughs> yeah. or intuitive or a real number crunchy kind of person, music will challenge you. So like music is the ultimate equalizer. It will, 
it you'll you it will challenge you and it'll make you work. It it if it, it, it has this ma incredible magic at at pointing out your flaws and your strengths, right? Music does. And so like to me music taught me how I learn and allowed me to kind of like work with that and um and sort of like become a very effective like student myself forever so like um in the sense that like i learn new things quickly yeah right thanks to music totally and also music will teach you the value of incremental progress incremental progress on a problem to solve a problem comics is like that too you know what i mean like you set up your like calendar and you say like if i can do two pages a week for a year that's like a hundred and that's a hundred and some page graphic novel now you you've got something that's really profound in two pages a week for a year and i think in our kind of immediate culture we it's we really struggle with with um we really struggle with uh commitment commitment right right like what you said right now like you know, two pages a week for a year. I'm like, oh my god! Even with me, that's like, like a big thing. It sounds like, like, okay, what if one week I don't do something? Then you just do, you do, you just pick it up. You, <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Like, but like, um, so so. Ultimately, like, look, I've been really, I've been really lucky. That's the that's the real takeaway for me is that like, I live a charmed life. I have, I've lived a life where I've had parents who were supportive and, and, um, you know, and they always encouraged me to go into arts. My dad's an electrician. And so like, he was like, I just don't want you to be an electrician. <laughs> like, I don't want you to be on your knees, you know, for your whole life. You know, he's like, he's retired <laughs> and his body is like beat up because of this work. And he's like, you're not going to do that, man. And they, and so they always push the arts in me and, from a young age, I like, showed a real proclivity towards drawing, and I showed a lot, like some talent towards music as well. And I always just kind of like um, never wanted to be like a tourist in any of this stuff. So I would just live there for as long as I could until I got good enough at it, you know. And right. So, so uh, the way they work together is that way. Like at this point, I, I don't know. It's just I'm just really lucky. I'm just really lucky. You know, like when it comes down to like, what are some of your favorite like music artists or albums or whatever, whether it's all time or the stuff that you're listening to right now? Uh, well, um, I think my, I think my favorite music of all time is probably the three and a half albums that Miles Davis and Gil Evans did together. So Sketches of Spain, Miles Ahead, Porgy and Bess, and Quiet Nights. Um, the part of Quiet Nights that's good. That album is kind of a little bit of a, <laughs> in a way, but, and then, um, and then, uh, typical, and then the rest is basically pretty, pretty typical, somewhere between like typical jazz stuff and then typical like depressed white guy music. So like, um, I love like Elliot Smith, XO. I love OK Computer by Radiohead. I love like, the White Album and Abbey Road and Revolver by the Beatles. I love like all of Fiona Apple's music super deeply. Like she's like my my greatest like 
living songwriter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, like, um, Mingus is like a huge love of mine. Like, um, so like let my children hear music and, um, there's some really crazy, like live Mingus, like live at Antibe or, um, right now live at the jazz workshop. And it's just like, um, some pretty cool, pretty amazing stuff. I also really love the music that Miles Davis was making in the late sixties and early seventies. So that music is really close to my heart. I was that weirdo who found my way into jazz through that music. So like, um, really the first jazz music that I really, 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 really loved was like live evil and bitches brew by Miles Davis, which is like so weird. <laughs> like, especially live evil is like such an avant-garde record. And I didn't realize it at the time. I would bring it to art class at, at high school and be like, put this on. And all the other students would be like, Dave, what is, what the hell is this music? And I'm like, this is the, this is the shit. This is the best music. Um, so yeah, I mean, and as far as what I'm listening to right now, um, there's a new record that came out by Maria Schneider. I don't know if you know her music. It's, no. it's amazing. And her music, you can't, find it anywhere because she's one of the most vocal people against streaming music her music is not on youtube spotify apple music or anywhere you have to go to her artist share website and buy it directly from her but i shit you not it's the best music you'll ever hear it's like the most incredible stuff of all time maria schneider it's like jazz big band stuff but again not like swing era big band but like new new music um and then um, what else? I downloaded something that I checked out. Uh, I the new Bright Eyes album. I came out the, yesterday. I haven't listened to it yet. There's a new Jacob Collier album that came out that I haven't listened to yet, but I have on here. I have the new Taylor Swift album on my phone. <laughs> Yo, that new good. Taylor Swift is good. It's good. I like Taylor Swift's music. I think her. I think her song, in particular, the, the her her lyrics are like so great. She tells a story like nobody else, you know? Yeah, this new album, like, I'm like, I can't even front that is good, you know? And there's stuff I've liked in the past too, but like this new album, I'm like, yo. I didn't. Yeah, beautiful textures. There's a new album by this trumpet player named Ambrose Akinmusire. He's on Blue Note Records, I think. And, um, and it's great. It looks like this. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think I've, uh, I've come across them. His music is very challenging. Um, and then, you know, just that's, I'm not, I'm not great at, I'm not great at keeping up with new music, really. Um, I'm, did you, you know, did you check out that, uh, that uh, Mingus uh, project, the live album from Detroit that came out um, late last year? Uh, no. What, what's it called? Um, I think it's just called, you know, Mingus Live in Detroit. Um, um, yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, DJ, uh, DJ Amir, uh. He um he has the whole uh, Stratus uh, Strata um records catalog and even stuff that's never been released. So he's been uh, re-releasing a lot of the stuff. Yeah, I actually got that album for my dad for Christmas. Okay, nice. So, um, so yeah, I I but I got it for my dad and I didn't listen to it. Yeah, it's dope. It's dope. Yo, man, it's been good talking with you. I love having talks about music. You know, you know, with people like you, you know, it's, it's great to hear your insight about, 
you know, just jazz and music and how you put it into this graphic novel, you know, uh, you know, Charlie, this Charlie Parker, uh, uh, graphic novel, uh, chasing the, chasing the, uh, why am I already forgetting his name? Chasing the bird. Chasing the bird, man. Charlie Parker in, uh, chasing the bird, Charlie Parker in Los Angeles. It, um, you know, it's out now. Uh, go ahead and, you know, cop that. Where can people go online to get more information about what you're up to and, you know, listen to your music, your other comic books and whatnot? Um, my website is DaveChismMusic.com. And then uh, I'm on Twitter, like, way too much. And it's my Twitter handle is ChismDave. So my last name and my first name. That's, that's what's basically. up. I mean, I'm on Instagram, too, but I don't post that much. I just post pictures of my cats and stuff. Thank you for listening to the Fresh of the Word podcast, hosted and produced by myself, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier, empowered by Anchor at anchor.fm slash Fresh of the Word. Fresh of the Word theme music provided by Steve O. You can find more of his productions at imsteveo.bandcamp.com, and that's E-Y-E-A-M-S-T-E-V-E-O.bandcamp.com. Fresh of the Word is available on all major streaming platforms. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you want to support Fresh of the Word, please consider pledging via Patreon at patreon.com slash fresh of the word. Follow Fresh of the Word on social media on Twitter at Fresh of the Pod, on Instagram at Fresh of the Word Podcast, and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fresh of the Word. For more information about Fresh of the Word and our other podcasts, Breaking Records and Renaissance Soul, and a collection of pop culture articles and reviews, please visit freshofthepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and your support. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.